together for the reading of God's Word in Hebrews chapter 4. We'll, towards the end of the chapter, we're just reading three verses. I'd ask you this evening just to follow along silently as I read aloud. Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then, I'm in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I want to speak to you specifically over the three words that are, are said there uh, in all points. He was in all points. And, and towards the end of verse 15, in all points tempted like as we are. And uh, all I want to do tonight is talk to you a little while about what Christ did and uh, some of the things and some of the points of temptation. And it'll make you love your Savior better the more you see Him clearly. And then also, I think we receive instruction by His actions, as we always do. And also warning about things that we'll encounter and what God's provided. And then you have the hope with that warning. You have, here's what's going to happen. And then here's some things God's provided to give us strength and not be surprised when we, when we have these certain areas of temptation in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, help me to help Your people. I want to do that well and ask for Your strength to do so. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please, if you would. The Scripture says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. We understand that goes on to say that He will not put more upon you than you're able to bear, but He will make with that temptation a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You have to look for that way. You have to go into it looking for how you can, how you can make it through. Let me say frankly to you, um, it's always a certain recipe for failure when you go into it looking for an excuse why you failed. Somebody, uh, I remember he's, the fellow was about 23 years old at the time, not been in our church for many, many years. And I remember this, uh, this uh, young man, he was, uh, kept having this or that happen. And, you know, he'd, with his job, he'd say, well, I was working and then this happened. I couldn't do it. I was going to do this, and then that happened. I couldn't do it. And he just did that. Finally, one day, after hearing that so many times, I said to him, I said, you know, I said, if you spent half the energy trying to figure out how to do what you're supposed to do, instead of coming up with clever excuses why you couldn't do what you're supposed to do, you might get something done in life. I said, did it help him? Not a lick, but I felt better. And it was the truth. You need to hear it. I don't know. I haven't seen him anything many, many years. I don't know how, how he did later on, but I know that was a part. Now, same thing with temptation. Um, we can go into things, whether it be a temptation to quit or a temptation in a, in a fleshly type sin, temptation in a spirit type sin where spirit's filthy, whatever the temptation may be. We can go into it looking for an excuse why we couldn't help ourselves. Or we can go into it looking for what has God provided so that we would not dishonor the name of our Savior. And of course, the Lord in here, as I'm going to show you tonight, He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. I thought it would be helpful, Brother Robin, and I've done really study on this number of times over the years and have never come to conclusions to my satisfaction where I could get out and teach and preach it declaratively. But I've keyed in on that term in all points. You understand, uh, Jesus was never tempted to be reckless driving a vehicle and endanger people's lives and be foolish in that way. <laughs> I mean, they're particular things. But I believe that temptation has certain points to it. Common, common markers within it, even though the outworking of it may be different. And I don't know, I, I've looked as I, I study the Bible and it's something I actively look for because it's, it's interesting to me. What are these points of temptation? And if I can see biblically how they're defined, then I'll find biblically what the answer is. And so I thought, man, that'd be great. Many years ago, 
I noticed that, and I said, I'll put that together for a message. I thought maybe I'd preach on that the next week, so I took off searching, right? I go searching somebody's book. I went searching in the book, and I'm like, oh, really? Okay, maybe we'll have to work on this for a month or so. It's a few years past now. A lot of years have passed. I still don't have that message together. But I do have tonight some thoughts about these times of temptation that Christ went through. And so I'm not looking to quantify or categorize the temptations. I'm just going to give you some, some temptations and where Jesus was tempted and what he did and, and at those times with it. The, uh, let me show you this. The, uh, uh, let me say first, you, um, you remember when Jesus was tempted, uh, reading about when he was tempted in the uh, wilderness? I mean, if you read that account in the Bible, you know that, right? Okay. We often think of it as him coming to the end of 40 days and then being tempted, which is true. But if you read the account and you read each of the accounts, you'll find out he was for 40 days tempted. And that final confrontation we see is the culmination of 40 days of continual wearing down. So as he's fasting those 40 days, and as he's constitutionally getting weaker after a certain point in that, the temptations are upon him, various temptations. He was tempted of the devil for 40 days in the wilderness. So that whole 40 days he's there. It's a very long, very protracted thing. And at the end, you have the final push. That's what we read about, and that's what we're familiar with. Well, it's interesting. He said there, um, when he came down, so being 40 days tempted, and then, and then it says at the end, and in those days he did eat nothing. 40 days. Nothing. And you talk about something that sounds like an understatement. And when they, those 40 days were ended, he afterward hungered. Yes. And the devil said unto him. Here's the first thing I put down tonight. He was tempted in a point of weakness. How many of you get grouchy when you get hungry? Did you all have lunch today? I need to know this. Okay, there you go. In fact, if you all get drowsy, it's because of mama. My wife put on a feed. I tell you what, you could have had two armies commit gluttony on what she cooked today. And uh, I left that up to my sons and I just ate my normal portions of things. But the, uh, it was good now. There was every kind of thing you imagine across that table. He just, uh, it was good stuff. Amen. I like it. And uh, it was good. It was, in fact, she'd made, and my wife always uh, is, uh, makes variety and quantity in what she cooks, but she made enough. We were, uh, us three manning men were not fighting territorially over any of the food, and that's unusual. Yeah. Isn't that the truth? But we get, we, get, we get downright touchy when you're reaching for that last piece. It, get, it gets on in the Manning household. It's like, that's my house, boys, and they don't care. And uh, so it's always been that way. But you, I mean, you ever get weak when you're hungry? How you get into that? Anybody here have low blood sugar? Anybody here hyperglycemic? You have that? That's a lot of fun. Are you hyperglycemic, Jay? Part your diet? Are you actually diabetic? All right. So you're not undersweet and you're too sweet, right? There you go. There you go. That's good. <laughs> Give her a chocolate rabbit. Let's see what she does. Um, but you know how you'll get weak? And uh, my little phrase, and I'll, I'll use around the house, I'll tell my wife, the will to live has, has come back again. Sometimes Sundays are bad for that because of eating schedules off and, and that sort of thing. And uh, I'll be real, you know, uh, just like this. Uh, you get some food in you, and it's like, okay, I can take on the world. And they're ready to go. I tell you, it was a point of weakness. It really was. 40 days. It was a very weak point. Brother Larry Brown. I don't know if you all remember Brother Brown came here and preached. Little fellow, unusual voice. He told, he told me, he said, the worst advice I ever gave in all his years of pastoring, he said, and where I actually think I hurt somebody with some advice, he said, I made the error of counseling somebody when I've been fasting for over a week. And so he made it a hard, fast rule for himself at that point if he was fasting and a lengthy fast that he would not counsel people during that time. He said, I was at a point of weakness. He said, and I did not give good counsel. And he said, and the person followed it and was hurtful to him. Now, that's something, you know, and, and you don't want to hurt somebody, certainly. That's not why you're doing what you're doing. And, and that, you know, that had been a lot of years before and it bothered him that he had done that. At a point of weakness. Um... And Jesus was tempted at that point of weakness. But you know, it's amazing. He being led of the Spirit. It's interesting. Two different words are used to describe what happened when He went out into the wilderness. It says in one place, 
He being led of the Spirit. Is this thing on? It doesn't sound like it's broadcasting. Yeah, it is. I guess we are. Um, the, he being led of the Spirit went into the wilderness. Another place it talks about him being driven by the Spirit. And some people will say, are you led or are you driven? The answer is, biblically balanced, yes. <laughs> there's a drive to it and there's a leading to it. But when he went out there, he, was, he got to a point where he was weak and at that point of weakness, he did not give in to satisfying the weakness through wrong means. And the devil, of course, zeroed exactly in on what that weakness was. You know, uh, in football, if a fella gets hurt on a play, and I'm not talking about he's injured up badly, but kind of hurt, he will try not to show that as he goes back to the line or when he goes on and off the field. Because whoever's playing opposite him is watching. And buddy, if it's hurt, that's what you hit. That, if he's hurt, that's where you go because you take him down. That's how our adversary does with us. And so, uh, a point of weakness. In this one, look in Luke 22. Did you just change me? Did you just turn unmute me? <laughs> I knew something changed all of a sudden. Thought maybe I started using my diaphragm, use my good voice, you know. Pardon? Finally spoke up. I'm up here punching my words, going, "Why am I having to do this?" So, thank you, Brother Dan. I appreciate it. God. <laughs> Let's see how tough the preacher is today. Just mute him and see what happens. <laughs> I have lots of thoughts about you know being able to mute him. That would be... Amen. I want to be immutable. Luke 22. Look in verse 52. I can move it down a little. I've got this thing clear up on my jugular vein trying to make it work. Verse 52. Luke 22, verse 52. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple... And the elders which were come to him, be you come out as against a thief with swords and staves? He said, you've got clubs, you've got swords, you've got all this. He said, really? When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. Now look at this little phrase. But this is your hour. Well, that's all they got too is an hour. This is your hour and the power of darkness. He said, you, you didn't come to me in the daylight, but you're doing it now. I put this down. Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He, was, he did not sin when He was weak. And then at a point of vulnerability. This was the hour and power of darkness. You realize earlier, several times, different things happened. They were going to make Him king, but He wouldn't allow it because it was not yet His hour. He wouldn't allow it to happen. There were several times they were going to kill Him. You remember in different ways? They, they took Him out of the synagogue we're going to throw him down off the hill on which the town was built and break his neck basically is what they were trying to do there were times they picked up stones to kill him and he went out from the midst of him there were all these different times he ran into situations and yet he wasn't he just it wasn't time yet he just went out from them but at this point he was vulnerable and he did not give in to temptation when he was vulnerable at different times in life, everyone becomes vulnerable. That means, means we're open and weak to whatever comes towards us. There are times of that. It's sustained illness can make you vulnerable. Because a lengthy illness affects every part of your body. Constant and chronic pain will do this to people. Heartache that seems un unrelenting. These things all affect people. Make you vulnerable. But Christ did not give in. What kind of anger would it produce in you for someone to put a bag over your head and smack you in the face and you couldn't see it coming? I would like to be struck anywhere around the face that just... I like it. That's hitting my head on something. Whatever it is, I'm going to break it immediately. I hit my head on a cabinet, I'll tear the whole kitchen apart before I settle down. It's the truth. I mean, just punch whatever it is. I, oh, I hate that. I hate that sensation out there. Now, I've boxed before and you know it's coming in. That's okay. But... Man, 
You ever had somebody spitting on you? You ever had somebody trying to spit on you? I have, and I'm not talking about a little kid who needs to learn to keep their tongue in their head. I'm, just, I'm talking about somebody honkers up and tries to hit you with one. Was that for um, <laughs> right, This old gal, we were up there in Hammond, and she cussed me and put Baptist in there three or four times. I was just walking across the street. Well, apparently she didn't care much for anybody who might be walking across the street she thought was a Baptist. Man, most women can't get one out like she did, but man, she did. He said, I bet that was nasty. I bet I'm good at dodgeball. I got out of the way. I did. It's like, what in the world are you doing? How about being unjustly accused? Does that bother anybody in here? He was vulnerable. Made himself that way. He verified that he had strength enough to stop what was going on. He had the ability to call the angels. He had the ability to shut it down. He told Pontius Pilate, he said, you have no power at all except it's given to you. He had the ability to shut it down, but he made himself vulnerable. And at the point of vulnerability, he did not sin. In fact, the Bible records both in prophecy and then in the fulfilling of that prophecy that he chose to be silent. He never answered Herod at all. He said a few things to Pontius. He didn't answer Herod. Well, Pilate sent him over to Herod. You remember Pilate and Herod were enemies, the Bible says. And then they came together to be against Jesus. That's the way the whole world will do. Every kind of group and people that don't fit together and don't even like each other will come together against him. That's what happened. And so he was at a point of vulnerability. Sometimes if we're not careful, at a point of vulnerability, we'll also become touchy. And uh, Jesus didn't do that. He never sinned. So at a point of weakness, at a point of vulnerability, can you see the fact he was very vulnerable? He, he laid himself open to everything they were going to do to him. He, he put himself in their hands. The Bible says that phrase, he was given over to the hands of sinners. You know, there's a very famous sermon. Jonathan Edwards preached it called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Have any of y'all ever read that sermon? Powerful sermon. He would read it. He was not a forceful preacher, but the hand of God was on that sermon. People would cry out for mercy. But on the crucifixion, you see God in the hand of angry sinners as Christ allowed Himself to be vulnerable. And as they, as they did what they did. So at weakness, at vulnerability, how do we do it those times? We can do like our Savior did because He has done it. We can talk to Him. He understands it. And then how about this? At the point of fear. You know Christ feared, didn't you? He does. He did. And the Bible talks about it. Look in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. You know, one thing I really, 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 really dislike about these uh, medieval sort of pictures and of Christ. Not only does He look effeminate, not only is he, it looks like a six-foot-something white guy with long hair, instead of a Jewish man, not only the just complete inaccuracy of everything that would be there and, and what are many of the pictures of what's supposed to represent Christ and what people look at and imagine Christ look like, not only does the inaccuracy of it and the unscripturalness of so much of it bother me, but I'll tell you what else it does because it, it literally, and this is what it was intended to do, it paints a wrong picture of Christ in people's mind. And believers, you know, every believer has you know, got this weird look and all this stuff. You see people pray. What it does, it puts this surreal thing there. And this, I mean, who wants to look like that to start with? And then... I mean, honestly, really? That's, you know, I get close to Christ. I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, but, but not only that, but also it, it moves it from the land of reality. You don't have, you know, rough fishermen and a tax collector, you know. You don't have real men and women, families, daily concerns of life following Christ. You have this panorama of these. I don't know what you would call it. These caricatures of human beings. Um, that's, that's not what it's like. Jesus was tempted and uh, He felt the things we feel. You know, it's, it's like when He was talking to the woman at the well. Not a point of temptation there, I don't believe, but He was sitting there because He was hungry. 
He was weary with his journey. He was just flat out tired. He'd been walking a long way. He'd been up extremely late. He'd been up extremely early. He had dealt with huge crowds and that actually draws life out of you. Even when you preach to larger crowds, it's, I've, I've had an occasion to preach to larger crowds. It does something. There's an energy that comes from it and there's something that draws out of you when you do it. And he was worn out. It was that simple. That's why the Bible says he stopped there. He's weary with his journey. Look in Hebrews 5. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but Christ, Christ feared. Look in verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now watch this. And I'm going to show you what it says. And just look at what it says. Who in the days of his flesh... You say, wait, wait a minute. Is it talking about Melchizedek or is it talking about Christ? The answer to that is yes, because they're the same. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. And the Bible is specific that he went and prayed those same words. No more words than that. And he was gone an hour. But he prayed with such earnestness and such agony that that he had the blood coming forth. So there was just a lot of, of, of intensity to what he was doing. Here's This is describing that sort of thing. Though he were a son... Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. It's the idea of tasting it. It's the idea of learning there. Experiential. And being made perfect, once he came to the completeness, what happened? He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So whoever this was that prayed and part of what he experienced was fear also became the author of eternal salvation. Christ literally experienced what you experience as a human being except for committing of sin. He was in all points tempted like as we are. And one of the temptations like as it was is at the point of fear. He was heard and that He feared. He was, he was at the point of weakness, at the point of vulnerability, at the point of, of fear. Look this way. Look this way. Hey, look this way. It's preaching time. They, at the point of fear, he, he did not give in. If we've learned anything in the last year, it's this. People get scared enough, they can make some mighty uh, uncharacteristic decisions. They can arrive at very, very irrational conclusions. They can believe very flawed data that makes no sense coming out. Fear is powerful. Fear is so powerful it's used continually as a controlling thing. We understand that. We've seen that. It's reality. Fear can absolutely devastate someone's life. You said right now we have a family on the route that y'all visit. Literally almost will not go out of their house still. Still. Literally have their self and have been that way for over a year. Think about that. Forfeit a year of your life so you can stay safe. For what reason? For living like that? Seriously? Take my chances and live. You gotta live. But fear of all types. Fear of rejection. Fear of what may happen in the future. Fear of failure. Fear of a a recurrence of something that was painful or hurtful in the past. All these times at the point of fear, Jesus felt fear, but when He felt fear, He committed Himself unto the One who heard Him. And because of that, He stayed with what was right, our Savior. He didn't give in. He felt it. He knew what He was walking into. He wasn't surprised when they 
laid him down, put the nails in. He wasn't surprised when they butchered him with that whip, that scourge they used. He wasn't surprised by any of that. In fact, he already knew. I mean, he, he, that, that's what was coming. At that point of fear, uh, he was tempted, but yet without sin. And in the same way, we can experience fear without sinning against God in it. Without abdicating that which is our rightful position in the Lord. Without yielding up that which is our rightful duty before the Lord. Why? Because fear is a common thing. Somebody says, well, I'm not afraid of anything. I don't think I've ever met somebody who's not afraid of anything. I believe some people are more timid by nature than others. And some people are more fearful by nature than others. And uh, that's just the, that's the constitution of a person. But uh, everybody has a fear about something. It's pretty amazing. Have you ever read much about those who've won the Congressional Medal of Honor? I've done some reading on different ones out of the years. One of two things is common with it. One is that they were scared to death when they did whatever they did and, but need to do it anyway. Or they just moved forward because it needed done and didn't think about it till afterwards. And then many of them afterwards were like, what did I just do? <laughs> it's a point of fear. You're going to have points of fear. And uh, Christ made it there. He's been there for us already. And then about this one. Look in Matthew chapter 14. This one's interesting. Matthew 14. All I wanted to do tonight, all I planned with this message, is to draw our minds towards these victory areas that the Lord took. They could have been defeat for any of us, but Christ took it and made victory out of it and showed us that He did. So see, if, I, if I'm dealing with fear, so preacher, you don't act like you're scared of much. Well, no, I'm really not scared of much, to tell you the truth. But every now and then, the few things I am gang up. <laughs> every now and then, there's rascals getting a pack, and you've got to watch out for them. I'd really like not to ever dishonor the Lord during this time. Look in Matthew chapter 14. Look in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Look how poignant this statement is. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. That draws a picture, doesn't it? That kind of shows us something, doesn't it? And when the evening was come, he was there alone. Can you see the natural sun setting? Can you see the darkness coming on? And he's alone. There he is, by himself. All the darkness coming in. <laughs> so when they're that far gone, brother, they're just gone. I love it. It's grinning at her earlier. She was watching me closely, and I thought she snuggled in there. She ain't gonna last long. That's all right. John chapter sixteen. We'll see if Miss Rachel has one on either side of her before it's over. Uh huh. <laughs> You're surrounded by him, Rachel. <laughs> John 16. Yeah, he's reaching ahead to hold of her head, going like that, and she's just like, <laughs> she doesn't care. She's out. She doesn't care. John 16, verse 32. Another great statement in this verse. In verse 31, let's begin there. Jesus asked a question. Jesus answered them, Do ye now believe? Look at verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. Watch it though. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. Let me say to you, he, he was uh, faithful and he did not sin and he, he, he did not give in at a point of loneliness. I've seen people make very bad decisions trying to combat loneliness in their lives. And it's a real thing. It's a strong emotion. 
But no emotion should take us to a point of wrong decision. May I say something even more challenging to you? Why don't you ask God's help to let no emotion take you to a bad decision? I'm not talking now about sinful. I'm talking about a decision where you are accepting less than the best of what God has for you. Pulling back in fear before you have the less than the best that God has for you. Backing up because of loneliness and saying, well, if I take this stand, if I do this thing, I, I may not have friends. I may not ever find a husband. I may not ever find a wife. I may not. Why don't you decide just not to do that? Jesus was at a point of loneliness. He was by Himself. The multitudes were sent away. He's up on a mountain. The evening darkness is coming on. And yet there He is with God, talking to God. Brother Hill said an amazing thing to me. This wasn't real long before He went home to be with the Lord. I sure do miss Him. Took Him out to breakfast. That was His favorite thing. We'd go out to breakfast. I'd drive over and take him out. You know, I rascal had some money at the end of his life. I don't know why I kept paying for breakfast. Go figure. Anyway, he's old and smart, and I need something to learn, so consider tuition. We'd sit down to eat breakfast, and uh, he was talking to me about it and some different things, and some things that were personal enough, I'd, they just will stay that way always. But he made this statement in the midst of a serious conversation. We'd had some fun. He liked the joke. I was never inappropriate or stepping beyond where I should have been with him. But we just, we had a, we had a good relationship. And he said, uh, he said to me, he said, let, let me, I wish I could say it like he did. Let me, let me tell you something. As always time to perk up your ears and listen to him. He said, if the devil can get you alone, he's got you. I was listening. He goes, yep. He goes, this is what I've learned since Joyce went home. His wife passed. If the devil can get you alone, he's got you. And uh, I said, well, Brother Hill, I said, I'm begging the question here, but sometimes you are alone. He goes, yeah, but you don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone. See, that's what Jesus said. Y'all of you will leave me alone, and yet I'm not alone. He never made reference to these passages, but this is what he was talking about. I said, well, how do you keep from that? He said, I'll wake up at night. He said, I'll tell you something. He said, you'll be startled by it. He said, he said I'll wake up I'm scared. He's not the kind of fellow you'd ever think of that, would you? I said, what you did? He said, I began quoting Scripture. He said, I can't sing or anything. But I'll... And he really couldn't. Oh my, he couldn't. He had worse voice than I did. Twice when we were college students, I came by and he asked me to lead singing because his man was going to lead singing at his church when we stopped by. I said, Brother Hill, you don't want to do that to your people. He said, yeah. I said, no, Brother Hill, I can't sing. He goes, oh, you're being modest. I said, "Ain't modest to it. It's just reality. He said, but you can lead. I said, I can lead. And he said, well, get up there and flap your arms. He said, I need some. <laughs> so I flapped my arms and got away from the microphone. But he said, I'll sing. He said, I'll quote Scripture. He said, I'll just start thanking the Lord for something. Learned a lot from that. I've used that. He was right. And Jesus stood and did what was right at a point of loneliness. Why? Because He said, I'm not alone. For the Father's with me. And uh, that's important. It really is. You'll be tempted at some point. Look it. You can be alone in the midst of the crowd. You can be alone with people surrounding you because you're alone inside. And you, you just uh, realize your Savior did what was right when He was alone. Now, I'm not talking here in the, in the context of being unsupervised. You know, sometimes they say, well, what would you do if you could do? You know, and that's a test. What does someone do when they're separated out from people they know? They're at a distance or people don't know them and nobody's supervising them. What do you do when it's just you making the decisions? That's a test. It is. It reveals some things. I'm glad that 
God's people that are serious about God's Word, it reveals some good things. You find out that you're not running on somebody else's power, but it's important to you to do the right thing. That's neat when that shows up. I'm not talking about that kind of alone. I'm talking about that alone. And see, the problem is that loneliness and despair can be real close to it. And we have to be careful and realize that Christ, He did what was right even when He was at the point of loneliness. So we've seen weakness. We've seen vulnerability. We've seen fear and loneliness. And then, let me just bring a phrase to your mind that Christ said on the cross, My God, I mentioned this this morning, My God, why hast thou what? I can't even get into the depths of that. That's quite a phrase to use. I'll put it down this way. How about at the point of being forsaken or feeling forsaken? And you pray and the prayers don't get answered. Did you ever pray for Adam's healing? Didn't come. No. But you were praying for healing on earth. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to dig into a hurtful wound. I'm trying to deal with reality. What I hunger for for us as a people is a real Christianity instead of a lot of the slop and garbage that passes for belief in churches. And that comes down to dealing with some things in a very real way. At that point of being forsaken, felt, felt forsaken. Now in reality, was he forsaken? He wasn't. But you at some points are going to wonder where in the world did God go? I've had this question asked to me as a pastor on one occasion. Where was God when? And the blank filled in after that. I used to really struggle over that question. The struggle I have with it now is just, it's not really a struggle, it's just the hurt of knowing somebody's going through something that uh, I don't have an answer for and they don't have an answer for. I'm so, I am, I am so glad I'm not required to have an answer for everything. Really thought I need to as a young pastor. Brother Tim, did you know what that feeling was like as a pastor? It wasn't because you felt like you had to know everything. It just, if people were coming to you, you wanted to meet their need. It doesn't take very long in dealing with very many people before you find out you just, it's, it's like, nope, it's not happening here. I've made a statement. A few of you have laughed and you think I'm joking when I make it. I'm not. I say I'm not smart enough for this job. I'm not. Neither was he and neither has anybody else I ever met. Not if you're going to represent Christ to some people. Not if you're going to try to love a group of people the way Christ loves them. Ain't nobody smart enough for that job. But this point of being forsaken, Christ stood during that time. I'd like to be able to do that. You ever hear about or read about somebody going through some great trial or something happened in their life and they just stay on course? Have you ever marveled at that? Like I have said, man, I take a lot. And have you ever wondered, I wonder if I would stand in that situation? You know, it's been one of the most amazing things in the Bible, and this is really neat. It encourages me. It really does. It really does. John, in the Bible, he's on an island called Patmos. That's the name of the island, right? He's there because of the Word of God. He's been exiled. Here's a man who was pastor in church, dealing with people, was at the hub of what was going on with Christianity, and now he is by himself on an island, exiled, put out there by himself. Nobody else is around. All his opportunity seems gone. All his ministry opportunity seems gone. And it would be very hard to explain if you are born and made for that, that's what you are, to have that removed. And the statement is made, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. There's 
no congregation. There's no great song. I mean, who couldn't get in the Spirit after singing like we heard tonight? Who couldn't get in the Spirit after these hallways being full of God's people laughing and talking and tears being shed and all the blessings of the day? If you couldn't get in the Spirit over that, you just park it, man, because good night. He was by himself. And he got in the Spirit on Lord's Day because it was the Lord's Day. Why? Do you have anything they ever felt forsaken? Did you think Elijah felt forsaken? That's why he's on that juniper tree. What in the world's going on? God? But you remember, I'm taking a stand for you. And I'm the last one left. I'm not in real good shape. Remember that? That's how you get, didn't it? It was interesting. It would be hard to find a stronger personality than someone who stood up under persecution and affliction much better than Martin Luther. Martin Luther the preacher. Literally would face down the false teachings. Face down those who were sent to persecute. The strong, bold stance Knowing it could cost him his life and most likely would. Didn't. They said he was prone at times to great depressions. And he would often sob himself to sleep like a great weary child is what his wife said. You wouldn't expect that, would you? How about Brother Lee Robertson? In the height of the ministry where God was using them, they would eventually train over a thousand missionaries losing his voice for an entire year. Had a problem with his voice. Lost his voice as a pastor for an entire year. We're now forsaken. About Charles Spurgeon, we read what God did with him and what a remarkable work. But he was home in glory by the age of 56. During the latter part of his life, it wasn't unusual for two, three, and even four months for him to be so laid aside with affliction that he could not even stand at times. I was just reading something he had written, and uh, he said, Do any of you know what it's like to lay in one position for three days? Because it was the only position that you could have any manner of relief. And when they tried to turn you from that position, the pain so excruciating, you asked to be turned back to it. Where one hour sleep in the night would be considered glorious. That's something. He said uh, there were times when he wondered where his master was. He was preaching in the Surrey uh, Surrey Music Hall because of the uh, uh, the S. Exeter Hall, they had outgrown it so fast as, as a young preacher that they had they didn't have anywhere else to go. So this Royal Music Hall, they, they would use it on, on Lord's Day. Packed the thing out, several thousands of people. At the time they were building the Metropolitan Tabernacle, which is the, the church there known that all over the world. And they built it debt-free. Spurgeon had a great aversion to debt. He said he got into debt when he was young, just a few, few little bit, might be a few dollars a day. He said he so hated that kind of bondage, he said he'd never do it again. Nothing he ever built. The, the almshouses, the orphanages, all that, never a dead mystery. But he was talking about, he was preaching, and there were several thousand people in this place. And some people came in and wanted to be disruptive. And they started screaming, fire, fire, the gallery is falling. And people panicked. And as a crowd of people will do, when some panicked, panicked others that didn't know why. Seven people were trampled to death. And scores others were injured. And as that crowd emptied out, there were seven bodies broken and dead laying there. He was attacked in the press for that. They said, and they lied about it. Can you imagine the press doing that? They said he was trying to take up an offering as the people were leaving. 
there's some people so ignorant they believe something like that. Yeah, the place is empty because people think it's falling down and they were taking up an offering. Give me a break. But that thing so weighed him down and about crushed him out of the ministry because he said he could hear the screams and saw the people dead and just weighed on him and weighed on him with that because they had come to hear him and then that happened. Then he said a simple verse about his heavenly Father never leaving him came to his heart and said, lifted him up out of it. I'm talking about the point where you feel forsaken. What about a point where you've been forsaken by those you thought you could depend on in this human world? When that happens, Christ, see, He did not give in. In fact, the verse there, every one of them left Him. And I understand what Peter did. And we say, well, Peter was, you know, he was he followed afar off. That's, a, that's the thing that's preached on. That's fine. It's, it's, it's a fine text to preach on. And there's a lot can be learned from it. He followed afar off. We talk about preaching, or, or Peter warming himself at the devil's fire. But he was not the only one that even followed to see what was going to go on. They're all of them scattered. Read about it. All of them did. And Peter was about the only one that followed from this thing. What's going on? He was trying to check it out. All of them did. And Jesus had told him this. He said, all of you shall scatter tonight. For it's written, I'll shite, I'll shite, I'll smite the shepherd, I'll shite the shepherd, I'll, sh- I'll smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. <laughs> My words just weren't. And so what happened is he was forsaken. He could hear Peter. He could hear him. When someone said, you were with him, and Peter began to curse and to swear to deny him, I know not the man. Jesus looked at him. They had forsaken him. At that time, he did not sin. At that time, he fulfilled the will of God. May God give us grace to do that. I don't know why this week I've thought of uh, Paul's writing, all they which are of Asia have turned against me. What he had to write to the Galatians. He said, you got a bunch of people turned against you. Not that I'm aware of. It's not the point. It's it's been on my mind. Thinking about some of these things that have went on in early Christianity. Think, I think it's just got to think about human nature and how it doesn't change a lick. How much we need the Lord. I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we have the Lord. We're just not. We've got to have Him. That's all there is to it. But how about this? Paul, Paul to the Galatians. He had to write them because they turned against Him. Rejected Him. At that time, what will you do? So, preacher, I can't tell you for sure. I know what I'd like to do. Well, good. That's, that's an honest answer. But can, I can tell you what Christ did at that time. He kept doing what He should do. See, He was in all points tempted like as we are. And you're going to go through these points at one time or another. These things are going to be real in your life. You're going to face some of these things. And the reality is that your Savior's already been there. You know I'm making, a, I don't want to say an issue, but I, I give... Uh, I give um, particular attention to the fact that in the Scripture when it describes Christ as the lily of the valleys, it's a plural thing that's important. He is the lily of the valleys. Plural. And I've just tonight, I've shown you five different valleys. The lily of the valley, that plant. And when we talk about it, it's the lily of the valley. That's what the plant's called. It's not called the lily of the valleys. It's a singular. But when he's described the scriptures, plural. That's because all the valleys we go through, not just the valley of the shadow of death, where maybe the fragrances spread most, uh, most abundantly, but all valleys, valley of weakness, vulnerability, fear, loneliness, forsaken, all these things, he is there for us. And he's already been there. He, he's there in that, in that dark place. Uh, somebody said well preacher why why did God not give healing I don't know does he have the power to yes he does but did he know why 
I don't know. I'm not required to. Then let's get real honest. I can't. And so at some point it comes down to this. Are we going to trust Him for who He is? Are we going to trust our Heavenly Father for who He is? And when we decide that and get it settled, we may have to get it settled again. It may get stirred up a little by some things in life. When we get that settled, then we'll just keep following Him. Just keep following Him. And uh, God will give you grace to do it. Let me pray with you. Father, thank You for Your words tonight and Your people. As I've spake to them and been frank with things, pray, Lord, that You'll do work in the hearts. May their eyes be fixed on You. I really wanted so much with my words just to keep pointing our attention back to You and how well You did. I don't know if I did that real well, Lord, but I, that's what I wanted to do. And I uh, pray that You, Spirit of God, that You'll go beyond the failings of my capabilities in speaking and help You people. And that their eyes would be on you, that they'd be steadfast because of it. Bless and strengthen them, and help them to walk in your ways, be close to you, to love one another, and just be your people. May they be secure in that, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Maybe something you want to come to the Lord about. Maybe right now you want to talk to Him about something. Don't know what it may be. Sure would be a good thing to seek his face. Open your heart to him.